This morning we are starting into a new teaching series that is entitled Together. And this teaching series is going to be five weeks long. And the first three weeks are going to be walking through our new vision statement as a church that has been passed by our session. Now, some of you right now may hear that we have a new vision statement and react to that with a teeny bit of cynicism. Because we've all been a part of organizations, maybe even churches, where vision statements work a certain way. We work hard, set up a task force or a committee that works on this, they do surveys, they have conversations, they form a statement, they take it to a larger group, maybe the session, maybe the board of trustees, who then edit it to make sure that everything that everyone could ever want is included in that statement. It gets to be about a paragraph long, it's passed, everyone feels good, it goes in a binder, it's closed, it's put on a shelf, and no one looks at it for 10 years. And then about 10 years later, some new person comes along and goes, we should really rethink our vision statement. And the whole process starts over again. Well, that is our hope that that is not the case with this statement. You are going to hear it a lot. You are going to see it a lot. We have worked very, very hard that it has what we believe is substance, and yet it is brief enough that we should all be able to memorize it. And our hope is that you will that we are encouraging one another to follow Jesus wherever we live, work, and play. Encouraging one another to follow Jesus wherever we live, work, and play. Now, why is this statement so important? Well, the reason that, uh, that we've been talking about, at least as a staff and as leadership, is actually captured in the visual that's on the banners outside for this series. Uh, it's been on the Facebook page. It's been on our website. And it's a, a picture of some Olympic rowers in a boat. You might have seen some rowing in the most recent Olympics in Rio. The largest boats have eight rowers, eight oars in the water. And these are racing boats. These athletes are finely tuned athletes who have been working for years to perfect their craft as rowers. They're amazing men and women. But what can happen in an organization if we're not careful is that we become so focused on our craft and our work and our oar that we can easily start and to, we can easily forget that we, our oar is not the only oar in the water. And so we can start rowing really, really hard on our oar without paying attention or even realizing anymore that there are seven other oars in the water. And if we want to do well in any race, we've got to be pulling in tandem with them. That we're not in competition with any of them because none of our oars are the full expression of the race. Think about it in a church. Your oar might be youth ministry. Your or might be older adult ministry. Your or might be small groups. Your or might be international mission trips. Your or might be traditional worship. Your or might be contemporary worship. All of these are vital things. All of them are incredibly important, but none of them is the full and complete expression of Christianity. None of them on their own is. And so what we have to be aware of is that we are one rower in a boat with our oar, and we can't become bitter if everyone else isn't as excited about our oar as we are. But rather we need to understand that we play a vital role as part of something larger than ourselves, all pulling together in a common direction. Now the way that they figure that out, not just have everybody on their oar rowing really, really hard at their own rhythm, 
in a boat is that in an eight-person racing boat in the Olympics, there are actually nine individuals in the boat. Eight rowers and then a coxswain. A coxswain is a ninth individual who sits in the back of the boat and they have two functions. The first function is that they're in charge of the rudder. They're to steer the boat and they're to keep the boat pointed in as straight of a line from the starting line to the finish line as possible. Their second job is that they call out in a kind of rhythm. They call out to the other rowers so that all of the rowers are, rowers are rowing in rhythm. They are rowing in unison. They're Oars are going into the water at the same time, they're pulling back at the same time, and their oars are coming out of the water at the same time. They're all doing it. This coxswain is the one that is making sure they stay in rhythm, and that is the best way that each of these oars is contributing to the boat going as fast as possible and potentially winning the race. I believe that for Covenant, there is a good chance that this vision statement can serve as kind of the coxswain for this church can be a way that we start making decisions about the values that we have. It starts creating a common language for where we want to go, of the kind of people that we want to be. It helps us make decisions of what to do or what not to do. Encouraging one another to follow Jesus wherever we live, work, and play. What we're going to do for the first three weeks of this teaching series is actually divide that statement into thirds. So today, we're going to take some time to talk about what does it mean to be a community that encourages one another, that doesn't drive each other by guilt, that doesn't drive each other by tradition, that doesn't drive each other by the need to change things, that doesn't drive each other by obligation or duty, that drives and is unified together through the spirit and actions of encouragement, that we are encouragers of one another. And to get our heads around biblically what that means, we're going to be looking at Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, starting in chapter 5 and verse 9. And as we do so, I invite you to pray with me as we engage God's Word. Lord, I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to how we can form the kind of community that the leadership of this church has discerned, captures us, and can propel us forward. Give us a common vision, your call upon each of us upon this congregation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting in verse 9. For God has destined us, not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other as indeed you are doing. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about encouraging, I get this idea of like a cheerleader in my head, right? Somebody that comes along and is just like, good job, you can do it, we're kind of with you, we're encouraging, you know, go. And certainly that kind of role can be encouraging to us. You've probably been encouraged at time when someone was cheering for you or believed in something you were doing, but, but sometimes that's not enough. Sometimes for the things that this world can throw at us, that's not enough. And the Christians that Paul was writing to here understood that. You see, in our last sermon series, the Sent series, we went through the first 17 chapters of the book of Acts. And in the opening verses of chapter 17, we saw Paul going into Thessalonica and to planting the first church there. And what we saw in that passage was that this church was under persecution from the very beginning. 
says that Paul went into the city and started teaching about Jesus in the synagogue. It said that uh, actually a good number of people started coming to faith. It says including some leading citizens, some leading women of the city. And that they started to uh, draw the attention and even the jealousy of some of the traditional Jewish leaders. And so they started a riot in the city. They started a riot and actually dragged these first Christians straight away in front of the Roman authorities, had them arrested, and basically these first Christians had to pay money to get out of jail for believing in a new faith. They hadn't really done anything wrong, but they had to pay to not be imprisoned for their faith. This is a community that needed more than just Paul going, you can do it, I'm with you, you know, way to go, guys. Stiff upper lip, keep going, pick yourself up by the bootstraps. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something that's actually far deeper and more powerful than that when he says that we're to be in a community of encouragers to one another. Think about what that word means. It means that we are to live in courage. That courage is supposed to be a part of who we are and what we're about. Because the most common teaching and command in the Bible is don't be afraid. Because what the scripture understands is that when we peer into our own heart and when we're actually honest, fear is a huge part of our life. Worry, uncertainty, these things can plague us and drag us down. And so we are taught, don't be afraid. Be people who are in courage, who stand in courage with one another. Now what I'd like to do is to ask two quick questions this morning. Questions that are essential if we say that we're going to be a community of encouragers. That's going to be the, the, the kind of ethos that binds us together as a church. The first thing that we have to be really clear about if we're going to be a community of encouragers, people who stand encouraged together, is what is the source of our courage? What's the reason for our courage? What's the reason for our courage? And secondly... Once we understand the source or the reason of it, how do we help each other tap into that source? Because that's the kind of action that needs to go with a community of encouragers. We're helping people tap into the source of courage. Okay? So first off, what's the source? What's the reason that Paul is saying and the scriptures say that we are to stand in courage? Well, the reason that he writes about here is very, very clear. What he says is, is that you and I are to be people of courage, not because we are strong enough, not because we're tough enough, not because the world can't give us something that we can't handle, because the world will. It's because that we are to be people of courage because we know with whom we stand. He says here that whether you are awake or whether you are asleep, you can be encouraged by the knowledge that you are with Jesus. As he writes about in the book of Romans, nothing can separate us from Jesus. Neither height nor depth nor things present nor things to come, neither powers nor principalities, that nothing in this world, nothing at all can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. That God is Emmanuel. He is with us. That he is with you right now. He is with you as you leave this place. He will be with you every moment of, of every day this week. There is nowhere you can go. There is no depth you can sink to. There is no adversary you can face that you do not face with him. And what we believe as Christians is that that's more than just platitudes or, or, or feeling nice. That there is incredible significance in that statement. Because when we say that we face it with Jesus, this is someone that's not just an idea or a concept, that Jesus was a person who came into the world, who everything that causes you and I stress and worry and anxiety and fear, he faced in his own life. Abandonment, loneliness, betrayal, 
illness, doubt, even death. God has faced death. And that we are people who face all of these things with him. That we are an Easter people. That the tomb is empty. That all of these things have been redeemed. That, that, that there is no such thing as any force, no matter how difficult in this world, that can ever overpower us and have the final say in our lives. That's what it means because God, it says, has overcome this world. Even death, God has overcome it and upset it and overturned it. And as he says, as so I have overcome the world, so shall you. So shall you that the end of the story is written and guaranteed and promised to all of us in faith. And so when we say that, when Paul writes here that, that whether we are asleep or awake, we can have courage because of the one with whom we can trust, Jesus Christ who is always with us, that is an incredibly powerful statement because there's nothing that you have, are facing today that he has not faced and overcome. That's the source. That's the reason for our courage is that we are never alone. God is Emmanuel with us. So secondly, how do we help people tap into that? What are the kind of things that it means to be a community that's constantly reminding each other in our worries or in our loneliness? or It's like we're facing this with God. God is with us. We can always be looking for him. He will always redeem this. How do you do that? Well, I want you to know today that it's not a mystery. We've been talking for this, about this for at least two and a half years, if not longer. And I know many of you have been talking about it longer. That there's four things that we see in the book of Acts that are the actions of a people that bring about a community of encouragers. We read about that first church that was a people who devoted themselves to scripture, to intimate community, to prayer, and to extravagant generosity. These four things, these four things that I hope you're not sitting there going, oh, I've never heard of those before. I hope that many of you who have been here going, we've talked about that before. Kind of have gone through it enough already. These are the things we do. These are the actions we take. Take, for example, what we just did. Talked about, well, how is Scripture a way that we encourage each other in community? Well, it's because we remind ourselves of the story of Jesus, that he was a real person, that he lived and taught and healed, and that he overcame and he, and even death and persecution, that there's nowhere we can go that we're not going to go with him. That is an amazingly and important, encouraging fact to remind ourselves of, the witness of Scripture. Or take intimate community or extravagant generosity. Think of the difference of, that's been in your life when you've gone through hard times and that you haven't walked them by yourself, that you've walked them with people, people who have come alongside you and helped to shoulder the burden. It makes all the difference in the world. You might have read in the Cornerstone article, you might have seen a week and a half ago at our first Midweek Connect, Dee Dee Church, a member of our community who joined a covenant group. And she shared about that. She'd never been a part of a small group before. She'd never done anything like this, but she signed up, and it was something that, that we were kind of talking about here. And then just a few days before her small group started meeting, she was diagnosed with cancer, talking openly about that. And all of a sudden, at the first meeting of their group, they had to kind of move beyond the, what's your name, and where do you live, and where do your kids go to school, and what Girl Scout cookies do you like, and what's a fun fact that we can learn about you, and all the things we do to get to know each other, because I have cancer. 
And she talked about the power and the importance of that group of women who walked with her and who befriended her and who called her or texted her words of encouragement or scripture, who prayed with her, who showed up and drove her to her treatments, who, who showed up in mass and celebrated on the day of her final treatment. She talked about the power of her and her family not walking that journey by herself, but of walking it as part of a community. It is an encouragement to people to be a part of a community. It's why it's so important that we're not just showing up for an hour on Sunday and then leaving. We're missing the power of so much of what it means to walk as a community of people, of encouragers, of Jesus. We give extravagantly of our time, of our friendship, of showing up in people's lives or our money where we see need as an encouragement to others. But the last one, fourth, is prayer. Praying is one of the most important ways you can encourage someone else. I, I don't know about you, but I've had people that I've let them know are going through a hard time. I'm praying for them. And so many times I've gotten a response that said something like, you know, it's the prayers of people that are sustaining me right now. And guess what? That's not pl a platitude either. There is almost nothing you can do that is as powerful as lifting someone up before the Lord in prayer. When I think about the power of prayer and connection in terms of being a community of having and standing in courage. I think of a young 18-year-old freshman at Georgia Tech named Andrew Santelli. Andrew was somebody who I met as we were launching a new worship service for a college ministry. And most of our students in this ministry that was already growing were students at Georgia Tech. So there was a uh, Monday night worship service that we were kicking off for the first time. We wanted to let students know about it. So we found the Monday we were going to begin and then looked six days before that on the calendar to the Tuesday before we started, six days before we started, to have a big blowout event on the campus of Georgia Tech to let students know that there was this new worship experience. You know if you have a savings account and you have a portfolio advisor who says to d diversify your account because you don't want to put all your eggs in, a, in, in one basket? We ignored that. There's a reason they tell you that. We ignored that. We put all of our resources into this one big blowout event on campus to let students know about this. We had uh, musicians show up. We had a fountain actually drained outside of the student center so that the musicians would be performing on this elevated area where uh, students passing by would see them. We went to the outside the student union where a lot of the students ate lunch. We were going to be late morning kind of going into lunch. We knew the right time. We had volunteers out there. We had resources. We had pieces of paper. We had pamphlets. We had handouts. We had all, we had covered as much as we could think of. Now parking at Georgia Tech is a lot like UT. It's not easy. So they gave us a small window of time to arrive at this parking lot near the student union and to unload all of our stuff. But they were really clear. You only have this little window of time. You have to unload everything yourself. No staff can help. You have to carry it through the union, out into the fountain in the front, and you have to set up and make sure everything works. So we showed up at the right time. We had our volunteers. We had built up a lot of energy. We were carrying stuff out there. And as we were setting up in this fountain, young man walked up to us and said, have you heard what happened? A plane just flew into one of the Twin Towers. I bet many of you who are old enough remember the moment you heard that this had happened, exactly where you were. We went inside of the Union and started watching on the TV and it was just a horrible accident that had taken place. 
And after a few minutes, we had this big event, so we went out to the van again and started loading stuff and carrying it out and watching the TV as we passed through the union. And I can still remember the moment walking back into the union to go out to the van again and seeing the second plane hit the second tower and realizing that this was not an accident and that we didn't know what was coming out of the sky anymore. The stories quickly started about a plane crashing into the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., a plane crashing in southern Pennsylvania. And all of a sudden, they evacuated the Georgia Tech campus. And I don't know if they did this at campuses all over. I don't know because of the work and technology at Georgia Tech if they did that specifically. But all of a sudden, they had security everywhere on the campus coming up to us saying, you have to clear out. The campus is being cleared right now. Cell phones weren't working. We couldn't get through. I couldn't get through to Beth to know where she was in this. It was a frightening time. And in the midst of us hurriedly trying to pack up and carry stuff out to the vans, all of a sudden, this young man walks through the crowd and walks straight up to me and says, are you a pastor? And I just got to confess up front, I didn't sit there and go, actually, there's this thing called an ordination process, and I'm technically a candidate right now, and I'm not. So I'm just admitting up front, I said yes, okay? I said yes. And he said, he said, will you pray for me? I just heard of the plane that went down in southern Pennsylvania and the town that it's closest to is where I'm from. I've only been here a week. My mom and my dad and my younger brother and sister still live in that town and I can't get a hold of them. And I don't know what's going on. Can you, you pray with me? And I said, sure. And I was ready for like a decent and an order prayer. And Andrew dropped to his knees, right there in the middle of security guards moving around and everything else. And I dropped to my knees as well in the middle of that crowd. And the two things I remember about Andrew's prayer were this. Number one, I didn't pray, even though I was the pastor. Andrew started praying right away. He was praying for his mom. He prayed for his dad. He prayed for his siblings. He prayed for the people in the towers. He prayed for the terrorists that he would find an ability in his heart to forgive them. And as the prayer ended... I'll never forget him opening eyes and as we were kneeling facing each other, he looked at me and said words that I still think about today. He looked at me and said, he is with us. He is with us. That's what Paul's talking about here. Not that everything's a Hollywood ending and everything just turns out exactly the way we want it. But that he is with us. That there is no evil that we can face. That there is no, no, no circumstance that's outside of God's control. That we face it with him. And he has over, already overcome whatever it is. Friends, there are pictures from 15 years ago seared into our collective memory of courage that day. Of first responders running into burning towers to help people get out alive. Of Marines running into the Pentagon finding daycare centers where parents who work there drop their kids off and bringing them outside and surrounding them on a lawn so that they would know that they were safe until their parents could find them and come and collect them. Of passengers on Flight 93 who when they realized the intent of the terrorists banded together and unarmed charged the cockpit together that they fought back. These are pictures of courage. But for me... The greatest encouragement of that day was 18-year-old Andrew Santelli praying and then looking at me in the eyes and saying, he is with us. He is with us. This day reminds us that no matter who we are, 
no matter who you are, life is going to throw pain our way. Life will be hard. Life will be difficult. But we do not face it alone. Paul is saying that we face it and can live in courage because of the one with whom we stand, who will be faithful and by our side because he has overcome all that this world can bring our way. Be encouraged today because it is a powerful thing. It is a beautiful thing. It is a wonderful thing to encourage one another to follow Jesus wherever we live, wherever we work, wherever we play. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this day and in the days to come that as a people, as a world, as families, that we would remember that every moment you are by our side. May we encourage and remind each other of this powerful truth this day and always. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.